It's time to go one-on-one with DP. Coming at you live from the Copple Chevrolet GMC Studios, here is your host, Derek Pearson. Presented by Beatrice Bakery on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Welcome. Thursday edition of one-on-one. Talk a little quarterback play. Uh, some of the things that are required along the way. Barry Thompson, Fairfax Football Academy, will call in here in a second. And we'll do that. I want to thank the folks from Beatrice Bakery for sponsoring this hour of sports radio. Um, I think I can take a take nominations today as well. You guys are going to do it on your show. Yes. Uh, so we can start taking the nominations now. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to theticketfm.com. Find the Beatrice Bakery banner. Um, I can tell you I had a speaking engagement with the Rotary yesterday. They invited me to become a member, by the way, which is a pretty big deal. Wow. And I'm impressed. So I want to thank Jerry Christensen and and the guys, uh, the gang from over there at the Rotary Club. They hooked us up. It was nice. Um, Great speaking to them. They're all fans of the station. Um, It was a great space to be in. Uh, They kind of speak my love language anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, community love language, which is nice. Uh, but I took them a care package of, uh, of Beatrice Bakery, and they they loved it. Okay. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. As took, most people do. I took a bunch of the samples, and they they were all in. Uh, but the cakes, the actual cakes, didn't last long either. So uh, we can take nominations. Just go to the TicketFM.com uh, website, find the Beatrice Bakery banner, click on it, and whoever it is that again, I'm not asking you to think deep. Think of the first person you think of when you want to see and you want to see them smile today. Who who is that person and why? Like what have they done? Did they have a good day? Did they have a bad day? Do they need a pat on the back? Do they need a kick in the pants? Do they need acknowledgement? Do they need celebration? Whoever that person is, jump on the website, click the banner, type that up. You can also Send it via the Sarder Hammond text line if you want. We'll we'll allow that today. And we'll start taking nominations. And Rico and Nick will give it away in the 2 o'clock hour at happy hour. Uh, you can put it on the Sarder Hammond text line. You guys know the deal. 402-464-5685. Sarder Hammond text line. Honda Lincoln hotline. And we're live on the video stream. So it's that time of the week. It's 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 my favorite clip. Let's do it. The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather-beaten, he wears a hooded sash, with a silver hat about his head, and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country. A villain, big and bold. And the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. You gotta let that just marinate. You just gotta let that that. Oh, that's so good. Why does it have to be the Raiders that have the coolest one? Because it's the Raiders. 
This is the Raiders. Like they they kind of yeah, earned man. it. They kind of earned that. Let's bring in Barry Thompson, QB coach. BT. Hey, man. What's hey, happening, man? Time, it sounds like you ought to put that nighttime crew in charge of listening to that and coming up with their own version about the black shirts or the Huskers. I, I think they could, between them and their listeners, they'll be able to come up with a, a version that would fit the, uh, fit the Huskers. This is why I hang out with you, um, because that's going to be our, our contest next week. That's going to be contest awesome. this week. Awesome, awesome. Right, like I think that that needs to be done. Um, we'll have the, the the Husker Nation come up with their own version of, uh, you know, the autumn yeah. wind is a raider, but uh, winter football is a black shirt. Yeah, I, I think that'd be cool. And, you know, fall football. Fall football drop. is a black shirt. You know, kind of the the mix of. Uh, Honoring the old, but you know, getting to the new. I think there's enough creative people there to get it done. Yeah, they can write. They would write it out, and we could we could actually yeah. have black shirts read it. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Have they, Jay they've Ford. Got that kind yeah. Of, they've got that kind of uh, silky uh, baritone. I think if he put put some put his booty into it, he'd come up with it. Yeah, I think that that's the plan for next week. What I we'll, we'll, you know, we'll actually come up. I have a Jason Peter signed black shirt jersey. We'll come up with some, a couple others, and whoever comes up with the best one, we'll get the jersey. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I love yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's necessary to do. Dude, can I get Virginia entries in there? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm just joking. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. The, no. Well, you know what? And <laughs> the autumn wine is a cavalier. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the autumn wine. Is a the cavalier. autumn. The autumn hey, wine and cheese that, is a cavalier. I know we're going to talk about it at the end, but uh, we got to hold on to a wine selection. Right. Uh, Myers Cork and Bottle at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, we'll just be able to say quickly as we can say it, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Charlottesville is it? <laughs> Charlottesville. <laughs> wine and cheese with, with Izod and uh, Argyle yeah, Come Sox. on. Come, come on. on. That, that's. That's who we are. The truth hurts sometimes. That's who right. we are. Yeah, that's a great idea. That that is that is that is awesome. So, um, it days after the Super Bowl, we 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 get to watch the the reclassification and reidentification of Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow. And I asked Jay and Rico this question. If you were you had the number one pick in a, in a rescrambling of the NFL and you needed a quarterback of all the NFL quarterbacks and all of the college quarterbacks, so you get two choices: you get one for college, wow. one for pro, wow. and 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 it's to run whatever system Barry Thompson wants to run, right? Yeah. yeah. What quarterback in college do you take first? The college guys, you know, I haven't studied them as much. I'm just entering that phase. Uh, so I, I'm going to have to pass on them. Okay. Uh, and then I'm assuming that I can't take Derek Carr, you're asking me to take, because he's a Raider. Yeah, so, yeah, he won't be okay, a Raider right, for long. So, so. Derek Hey, you might be able to visit with him shortly. He might end up right there in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll have some wine and cheese together. There uh, we go. Of, of the pro game. You know, it, it, it's interesting because you you 
tend to be reactive to what you see in front of you, right? What, what, the way you phrase it, you just watch the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't you take Stafford or why wouldn't you take Burroughs, um, you know, based on what you saw them do and the systems that they ran? Um, those are not bad choices. And then that, that makes you almost forget about Mahomes, almost, right? Mm-hmm. Almost. And then makes you think, oh, then, then you got to remember Josh Allen, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said for my my money, uh, and I don't know whether they'll be able to pull it off, I, I just like the combinations that Lamar Jackson offers. I don't know if they have everything set for him, but uh, he his skill set seems to be the most threatening skill set that's out there. I think the Ravens are going to have a challenge in you know, how the money's distributed to get the people around them to be able to do the performer these other teams are. Um, but in terms of big games, you, you look at Stafford, uh, a lot to admire about his career. A guy just never said a peep and just fought his, his butt off, and he gets rewarded. I don't know if all your listeners have seen. There's about a nine. You, you'll know it, DP. Mm-hmm. It's a six-minute live clip. Uh, old uh, Ed Sable says, we're just going to show you this clip, and we're not going to make any commentary on it. It's Stafford mic'd up where his shoulder gets popped out. Mm-hmm. And have you seen the clip? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. You watch that, and you're automatically a fan of him. So then you know, he, he arises. It's going to reshuffle. I don't. I, I just like that skill set combination that Lamar Jackson has, and it doesn't mean I don't like Josh Allen. Is really good. It doesn't mean I don't like Pat. Well, he's a cheat, but uh, and those four guys. I mean, they're they're all really skilled. They're all really good. But if I was to lift them out, and move them around, I think Lamar would be the most interchangeable guy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you saw what Stafford did. I think Lamar would be the most consistent uh, performer. They're all really good. And that brings you back to because a couple times ago you said, are we seeing a change into the guard, right? Like these old guys and the new guys are trying to learn. That, that, I said it was more of a change in the uniform. But I just named five guys. And, I, you know, I didn't mention uh, Hebert. Right. Right. And I didn't mention some other guys. I didn't mention Carr legitimately. You know, I did mention Aaron Rodgers is still playing, I think, and then Russell Wilson and so forth. So I don't think this this thing has hit an evolution stage where those guys right now, you expect them to be playoff quarterbacks next year just because of who they are. Didn't answer your question, but... Um, no, it, 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 provides, it provides food for the, for the conversation because when you talk about style of play and where the game is now, right, and the NFL drives quarterback play. For college yeah. and high school, so whatever, right. whatever the the chic thing is in the NFL, um, quarterback is a copycat position. Like where folks will try to figure out and identify what is successful, what's gone on, and then what can happen next. And then nobody wants to be behind it, so you want to ride the wave as quickly as you can get on it. With that being said, what's the new quarterback? If Matthew Stafford is the guy who gets the golden ring. And had impact in them getting the ring. So this is not a Trent Dilfer situation where he's riding the the crest. But he actually had to make plays. Now, mind you, he's not Aaron Donald or Von Miller, but he's still Super Bowl champion. And Joe Burrow, what he did in winning the AFC championship with the Bengals, is a part of the discussion as well. So what is today's quarterback? What's the next version 
of hot quarterback play in the NFL and in, in college football? Well, it's not going to be the quarterback play so much. I mean, the quarterback is important. You need one. But I come to this conversation a lot. It's really what's put around him that, that makes him succeed. It's a decision. After you get the guy, it's the decision makers around it. And if they don't make good decisions, you know, Joe Burrow just becomes another guy. But go back to what they did. He's the most sacked guy in the NFL. They go into the draft, so everybody says, well, they need linemen. They picked Jamar Chase. Mm -hmm. And that made all the difference in the world. You know, and you look at what McVay did. You know, he had golf, and he said, no, I I know what I have here. I need that guy. And they traded away picks to get him, and it was the right thing. In that case, they had an ecosystem, and they pulled the right guy in. To run it so yes you can have the right guy but if the people around them don't make good decisions to help that guy do what he does really well you're not going to get anything out of it you just aren't in the nfl and to be honest with you the nfl wants a lamar jackson they have for years understood that a guy who can throw the ball active from the pocket and a guy who can run is a problem mm-hmm. you go back to Deacon Jones, and some of the listeners may not know who he is, but he curses Fran Tarkington. Well, he's gone now, but to his last breath, he cursed Fran Tarkington. <laughs> right? He was the guy that the people talked about. Well, he just scrambles around. He doesn't know what he's doing. Deacon got pissed when he had to play him because he didn't know where he was going to be, and that causes problems for defense. The problem with a guy like that is that with the dollars you're playing, how important it is to the team, you run the risk of injury and losing the guy yeah so the nfl in my opinion is always fighting against at the quarterback position what they really want what they really want is somebody like lamar what they really want is somebody like patrick Mahomes, right what they really want is you know somebody like russell that's what they really want but they haven't found a way to consistently kind of manage a guy like that you know fran was probably you know and there was steve young Right, those guys really cause problems as much as a guy like Dan Marino or Matthew Stafford or Joe Burrows. Um, that's what they really want, but they can't figure out the equilibrium between the guy running and then keeping him safe. Um, but that's going to be the most dangerous quarterback that there is. William Felton Russell, we've always talked about this, one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived and known as a defensive guy. He said the toughest thing to defend is something that I don't know where it's going to be. And you go back to the Alabama games recently, those national champs, they did a fantastic job of moving their key players around the chessboard, and that presents problems for It's tough. You mentioned Russell Wilson and his possible free agencies, pending free agency, has driven the question, where is Russell Wilson in the quarterback hierarchy long-term currently? Well, it depends on what he does next. You know, he he doesn't have, you know, he's had a consistent run of success. He's got the, what, two Super Bowl appearances, one ring. Is Mm -hmm. that right? Yep. Is that right? Okay. And I know people are constantly saying he's not a Hall of Fame. I've never seen so much discussion about Hall of Famers when they're mid-career. Like, he has a whole second story. I mean, people forget Peyton Man, you know Peyton Manning's second second half story, right. or people forget John Elway's second half story. John Elway, 
right? And Smith Moore was just a guy who could really sling the ball, get Super Bowls, he couldn't win. Right. And then the back half of this story, when they started putting things around him and Don started, you know, understanding that he couldn't do it on his own, back-to-back Super Bowl wins. That changes it. Now he's a different dude, right? Right. So this thing, when a guy's halfway through his career or, you know, whatever it is, he's not done, and talking about the Hall of Fame. I think Russell is, you know, he's going to try to, I think he's mature enough to try to have a great conversation about how things are going to go and what he feels he needs to win. If he gets all that, he gets in a place, I think he'll be, he'll be as successful as he was with Seattle. Um, if he just chases money, um, you're going to see pretty much maybe a repeat of what we saw the last couple of years. Uh, you know, so it just depends. That ecosystem around the quarterback is so important, so important. Uh, it, it almost strips the quarterback of his abilities if, if the things aren't done correctly around. Imagine if you you got Brady at New England and they were convinced that they, they were going to try to make him run an RPO system like Nick Foles. <laughs> Hmm. Right? Hilarious. Or, talking to Nick Foles, right? How they get the Super Bowl? They got rid of him because they wanted to do something else. They brought him back. They put in the stuff that he was really good at. Bang, Super Bowl. That's Nick Foles. That, that's how important that stuff is. I'm going to put you in the hot seat with this one because I know that you, 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 you're going to hate this, but I, I'm going to ask you to do it. Um, you talk about Joe Burrow and what, what, what was put around him. You talk about quarterbacks and the ecosystem around them. You as a quarterback's coach, and now you've got your top guy, right? You, you've picked the quarterback of your choice. Uh, but pick number two is either going to be a left tackle or a 1A receiver. What do you choose? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting Jonathan Ogden out of retirement. <laughs> I'm bringing Anthony Munoz in to coach him. Right. And any other – what, Dave was a guy that a great, great lineman. He wasn't a tackle. He played for uh, – from Alabama, played for uh, New England for years. Oh, but John Hanna. Hanna. John Hanna. John Hanna, I'm bringing him around. <laughs> right. And I'm going back – I'm going back and getting uh, – yeah, any guy that's been great with the line. Yeah, I, I, you got he's got to stand up. Is is that what you think happens for Cincinnati? I mean, that's the the talk, right? And even that that's what happens with LA. You you need well, to do you get another banger or do you go, go yeah, go back to the skill set thing because what the Bengals did was interesting, right? You would think that if I'd been in the front office, right, I'd have been banging to go get a tackle to protect this guy. But somehow there's a calculation and I, I tend to think, you know, that Joe was screaming on the table, said, give me this guy, I can fix that. And somebody, somehow somebody won out and said, no, we're going to get Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. And somehow that worked, and that fits with Joe's strength and what Jamar can – if you look at Jamar, Jamar doesn't dust people. He never does. Right. I don't know what release game he has, but you go back and watch his catches, he's bodied up next to somebody. He's in the air. Look at the catch that he made in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, he – he tracked that ball early while the defensive back was still positioning, got himself in there, and Joe threw the perfect ball for him. So there's something about those two that that wipes out a multitude of sets. I don't know if any other quarterback right, could have made that choice and solved the problem. But evidently, with Joe and Jamar, it's 
it was unique to Cincinnati. You know, we've seen quarterbacks take their favorite receivers before, and it doesn't work out. But this was all this 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 wiped out a multitude of sins for them that pick, and I think that's unique to Joe. Watching that game being played and the throws that were being made, especially in critical times, so there's that the the throw that I've seen you work with quarterbacks make every day of your drills, which is that trash can throw to the corner where mm-hmm. it's timing and look, just put it in the same place over a defender, right? That's why you arc it, and, that, and you can't throw it straight into the trash can. You've got to put some elevation on it, and the timing has to be right. Versus that, that, that fade back shoulder throw um, towards the pylon uh, on time. Which of those are the more difficult of the two throws to make? Because there were there were a couple that were missed in the Super Bowl, and there were a couple that were, that were hit. Which right. ones are the most difficult throws to make? Well, I think the one that it depends on when the field that they are. So if you're out midfield and you're trying to guys going down the sideline, that that takes a lot of reading, and there's a lot of space, and both the receiver and the quarterback have to be on the same exact page as to when things are going to happen. So a simple way of describing a back shoulder field down the field is, you know, the, the quarterback will, in, at the high school level, you know, in college, a lot of a way of saying, okay, I'm running four verts, and I'm looking at both sides, and I'm going to take the pressed-up corner. I'm going to start there. Now, as the receiver starts, right, if he gets on top of, of the quarter, um, the defensive back, then the – the the, uh, the quarterback's just going to throw the ball, right? But if for some reason, at a certain point, if the defensive back is even on top of the defensive back, then the receiver knows he's going to get a back shoulder throw. That sounds simple, right? But they've got to both be on the same thing. And then the quarterback's location of that throw, it takes quarterbacks a while to understand. I always say target the helmet, and that'll put the ball you know, right where it wants to be. Now, inside the red zone, uh, where – fades are going to happen and allow people to be more physical, that's probably a little easier thing for the two to get, get right? Because mm-hmm. the same rules, if I get on top of them, I'm not here. But in that case, a receiver can communicate to the quarterback, hey, I'm not going to try to get on top of them, right? That's when you see both hands, right? Two hands on the defensive back and the defensive back there. He's got his space, and then now just put the ball where I can go get it, right? The corner route um, is one, like most of the pro passes, it just has to be thrown on time, right? It just, you can't wait. Like, it's, he's got his steps down, you've got your steps down, the ball's going to the corner, and he has to go get it. Uh, that one, from a timing perspective and execution perspective, is more easily practiced over and over again, right? You'll, uh, I put up clips of my guys doing it, right? You, you've seen, probably seen it, where they're just constantly hitting the same spot uh, yep. it's easy to walk a quarterback up that the back shoulder stuff in the field that takes a lot of time and it's not as easy to execute it as they make it look well that's uh, training high repetition and awareness um i'm going to ask you a question before i ask you the question uh okay. since we've been talking about quarterbacks and what they need around them right nebraska is in a very similar situation like folks want to get excited about the skill position guys but how important is it? They need they need a, a left tackle anchor, right? That needs to happen. That's right. important. Uh, 
How important right. is it to the success of Casey Thompson and this Nebraska offense? Well, he's got to feel comfortable, and I don't mean to pick on anybody, but you know the, the times that I dipped in on, on Nebraska football, the right guard was an issue too. Right. Right. So right. A and B gaps, you want to take care of those first. So okay. that's got to be solidified. Then you can move out, right? Okay. But if you can't protect A and B gaps, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That has to be solidified. So start there first. Okay. Then you move out to the tackle spot. Again, you know, with the skill players, there's ways to get around that. Um, you know, if you don't have a strong left tackle, then, you know, there's there's certain things. When people think of pass protection, it's not just, especially as the guys move up a level, it's not just equating numbers. At the high school level, if I see six in the box and I want to be a belt suspenders guy, I, I call a protection that I have six protected, right? The standard one is um, I'll have a half-man slide, three, three people sliding to zone, three defenders, and then I'll have two man defenders on the on whatever side I call. And then the back would be the check for the, the third person that may come from the right. So I've got three on the left, three on the right. I've got six unprotected. As you move up, now protection is not just about numbers. Protection is about matchups. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you right. know, I may like a full perm protection where I have my whole line slide. Everybody. Back, <laughs> right. And my back comes in play action and he comes up and he takes the defensive end. Well, there's some backs that you don't want near a defensive end, and, you know, and that's not a good matchup, even though it's a great protection for you. Right. Uh, sometimes you're going to have to come in and you're going to need to double team somebody. Or maybe they have to choose somebody. And you have to figure out protection where you get two double teams and you handle the rest of the protection. So um, there are ways around it. Uh, you can, you certainly can chip, but again, you know, what kind of back do you have? We're talking about running backs. What do you want? I failed to mention two things. Can he black back a blocking pass throw? And two, could he, could he get out, right? Those are ways that you can kind of control or get around a, a defensive end. You know, he's, he's coming hard. And then I'll take advantage of the space that he creates by putting the back right behind it, right? You know, that old adage that he can't block them, kind of read them. Yep. Uh, so there's ways around that uh, from a protection standpoint. Um, but then that puts a burden on Casey, right? Now he has to know his protections. And I'll, you get me talking about this. Um, I'm spending a lot of time with Guy and, and my guys that are ready to go in college. You know, we spend an intense amount of time now talking about protections and things like that and making sure they can understand. When you watch guys like um, Josh Allen a couple of playoffs ago, I don't know if I mentioned this, but uh, or you watch Aaron Rodgers play, and, and just any of these guys, and if it appears to you that they always seem to know where everything is on the field mm-hmm. as they move around, it is because they do know where everything <laughs> is on the field. I'll give you an example. I was showing some of my quarterbacks. This is a playoff game, Josh Allen. Um it's a protection we call 300 jet. It just it just means that there's a, a three the center of the guard and the tackle on the right are zoning to the right. So they they mean that they're taking care of the A, B, and C gap. No matter what combination of defenders come, they've got those three. Um, to the left are two man defenders, and the back would, if he's in protection, if it's not scapped, he would he would be checking to that side. So here's the play. So he's got three guys sliding to his right. He's got man defenders or blockers to his left. He drops back on the hash, and with no signs of pressure, he takes two quick steps to the right side of that hash. Now, it may not look like anything to you, but what he was doing, 
he did two things. By if he stood on the hash, right, by getting off the hash, he did two things. He bought extra time, which everybody can understand, mm-hmm. because he was actually throwing a crossing route, which was coming from his right, going to his left. He bought extra time. But what he was really doing, <laughs> by moving from the hash a little bit to the right, he was increasing the distance that the, the defensive tackle and end would have to go to get to him. Right? He increased the distance. Yep. He moved about two feet from him. And of the two sides of your protection, the zone side or the slide side and the man side, which side is most likely to get beat? Most likely to get beat on the one-on-one side. Yeah. So he purposely stepped to the, the slide side, and sure enough, when you watch him finally throw the ball, there's a defensive tackle from whoever they're playing. He gets to the hatch. So if Joe had been there, that would have been a, I mean, Josh had been there, that would have been a pressured throw. So knowing the protection is extremely important for a quarterback, not just, you know, numerically where they equate, but exactly where your gaps are, exactly how you buy extra time, exactly where you want to escape if you feel pressure. If you feel pressure from this side, what does it mean? Um, So there's a whole lot that will go in uh, from the quarterback perspective to helping that left tackle if he's not Jonathan Ogden. Yeah, that's why. See, this is why we bring you on. It's it's a master's class, right? It's necessary because there's so much to it, um, and you're a great uh, detailer and ex- explainer. You you create the visual and open folks' minds up to what is required to play the things that they're not seeing that these these experts do see. Uh, before we let you go, gotta ask, what are we eating? Yeah, we're going to Spain. Okay, cool. I mean, uh, I'm packed. Spain, I'm I love packed. Their tapas is a dish called. Uh, uh, potato and chorizo tortilla. So it's not the, you know, it's not the Central South America tortilla or taco tortilla. It's called uh, uh, potato and chorizo uh, tortilla, and it's a really simple dish. You'll need about a 12-inch skillet. Uh, if you're using nonstick, you want an oven-proof. Uh, you preheat the oven to 375. You'll need uh, about a pound of fresh chorizo, uh, three medium-peeled eggs, uh, potatoes, uh, one medium onion and some salt and pepper, uh, half cup of milk, and, uh, lim- and uh, there's something, a little salad that goes on top. That, those are the main things, eight large eggs. So in the pan, right, you take the chorizo. It usually comes in a fresh casing, and you uh, put three tablespoons of olive oil in there, and you, you, cut, you can't brown it. Fresh chorizo is going to look red, but you, you kind of cook it off on medium-high heat for about four or five minutes. After that, you're going to put in your potatoes and your onions. Now, the size of the cut, right? You, you don't have to dice them finely, but you want to make them like, you know, bite size on the spoon, you know, kind of however you want to cut it. That goes in um, with the chorizo, and you cook that on medium-high for about another five minutes until the onions get soft. After that, you're going to turn the heat down to medium and put a lid on it and let it cook for another 10 minutes until the potatoes get soft. After that, pull that lid off, crank it back up to medium-high because you want the potatoes to get a little, little crispy on the bottom. Are you, are you with me, DP? I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Today? Okay. I'm all in. All right. And then, in the meantime, those eight large eggs and a half cup of milk, a little salt and pepper, you're whisking those until it gets frothy. Your mixture in the pan is done. So then you pour the eggs on top of that, and you just want to move it around the pan to make sure everything's evenly coated. And once that's done, you pop it into the oven for about 12 to 15 minutes. It's going to puff up. 
and uh, if you're using a regular pan, you'll you'll see that it'll start to come away from the edges pretty easily. Uh, when that's done, you want to don't dig into it right away. <laughs> uh, you want to you'll take it out of the dish and you'll let it sit for about five minutes. While that's going on, to make mom happy, take a half of uh, maybe a cup of mixed greens, uh, about maybe a half a half of lemon. You're going to juice it, and then maybe a tablespoon of olive oil. And you'll take the lemon olive oil, make a little vinaigrette, a little salt and pepper, toss that with the greens. And then you can either put those on the side of the tortilla or right on top, just a little bit on top, and go eat it. And you'd need a fancy, you know, I don't know wines, but, you know, maybe red Spanish wine to go with it or a good cerveza would be good or iced tea or lemonade. And the great thing about these tortillas is they hold up really well. If anybody out there really enjoys a cold slice of pizza, these tortillas, when you make them, yeah, they're great while they're warm. They're easy to warm back up, but the dish holds up really well for three or four days, and you'll just be snacking off it for the rest of the week. It's a potato and chorizo uh, tortilla. Really good stuff. Okay, great. We're all hungry now. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> none of us have, okay. Fair. 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 Very fair. Hey, BT, good stuff. Appreciate you, man. Love what you do. Thanks for having me, man. All right, that's Barry Thompson, Fairfax Football Academy. Now we're hungry, but we're smarter. We'll be right back. Download our app by searching 93.7 The Ticket in your app store. You're listening to One on One with DP on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. On Deloitte's OnCloud podcast, my co-host Mike Cavus and I talk with innovation leaders to explore how they use cloud engineering for new possibilities for their organizations. Join myself, David Linthicum, by subscribing to OnCloud wherever you get your podcasts.